Whether you're stuck at the mall, in the yard, or making a quick trip to the home improvement store, we've got your back. It's gonna be May. This is the Saturday Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. Hope you all are doing great on this Saturday. Hour two of the show underway now. We are live today at JCW's in Provo, getting ready for BYU pregame coverage coming your way at 1 o'clock right here on these same airwaves. We'll get you ready for uh, BYU and Georgia Southern. And by the way, this week, Jeff, I don't know if you've done this. I have been referring to Georgia Southern almost uh, like Georgia State. It's almost been like 50-50. I have been awful at keeping my Georgia directional schools um, straight. I've just said Georgia, even though it's not Georgia, but (laughs) since I subconsciously know it's not Georgia, then I can just say Georgia and it's fine. (laughs) They're not not playing the number one team in the country this week? Uh, No, no, but you know, we beat Alabama in women's soccer. Yeah, in football, right? Uh, The women's soccer program for BYU, uh, they will be in the Sweet 16 today taking on Virginia. Oh, by the way, on the BYU front, this is a local thing we need to talk about more. Congratulations to the men's and women's cross-country programs from BYU, I guess two individuals in particular. Whitney Orton, who is a Utah native, she is from Panguitch, Utah, folks. Any of you who have been to Panguitch know how small of a town that is. She just won the NCAA cross-country individual title in Tallahassee, Florida this morning. Congratulations to her, and also congratulations on the men's side of things to Connor Mance. He is now a two-time individual champion in men's cross-country. He won it last year as the individual champion and led the men's team from BYU uh, to a good finish as well, but he won the individual title. So both individual national champions in cross-country, in Division I cross-country this year, reside in Provo, Utah. So congratulations to Whitney Orton as well as Connor Mance on those wins. And by the way, Connor Mance, I forgot this, he's actually a Smithfield native. So two Utah natives winning the cross-country title. So congratulations to both of them. Really, really well-deserved honors. I Needed to shout them out at some point on today's show. I just saw that come across. All right. Uh, but big football day ahead. As I mentioned, we have BYU pregame coverage at 1 o'clock. Utah pregame comes your way at 4.30, getting you ready for the showdown between the Utes and the Oregon Ducks. Uh, number 23 team in Utah against number 3 team in the country in Oregon. Huge game. And DJ and PK this week were uh, privileged enough to catch up with Antoine Staley. He covers the Ducks. He's their beat writer up there for the Register Garden, Eugene, Oregon. Did a great job uh, breaking down what to expect from the Oregon Ducks in this matchup. I'm going to let you hear that now. Here you go, DJ and PK with Antoine Staley right here on the Zone Sports Network. How are the Oregon Ducks doing? Are they peaking for the game against the Utes, or is it uh, too early for that kind of thing? I mean, I think defensively, I think they're playing as well as they have all year. I think they're stopping the run really well. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau is definitely been a menace recently and I think everybody would argue you know one of the best players if not the best player defensive player in college football and I think offensively I mean it's kind of just very similar to Utah they like to run the ball they like to uh, rely on the ground game the offensive line and they throw the ball whenever they have to to rely on the quarterback Anthony Brown so yeah these games these teams are very similar in that way and I think it's going to make for a really fun game on Saturday. 
So when uh, Riddell went down, he's a great running back. We've seen him. Utes have had nightmares of him as a freshman a couple years back in a Pac-12 title game. So he goes down, and I figured Die would be able to step up, and he has. But I was wondering who would be that second back. And I look at uh, Cardwell, and it looks like averaging almost eight yards a carry. He's been that guy to basically take over for Die's role as Die takes over for Verdell's role. So can you say, even though C.J. Verdell is really good, that they haven't missed that much of a beat in the run game? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, I think, uh, like you said, Die has really been – they're kind of they're a bit of an MVP for this team, not only just uh, running out of the backfield, but also catching passes too as well. So, yeah, he's been instrumental. I think he uh, been just driving that force offensively. And yeah, you talked about Byron Caldwell and uh, just the freshman has really come on as a late too, uh, especially in the last couple of games, getting about averaging about 300 yards during that span and uh, just being a second option for him too as well. And they they're deep, they're so deep at running back. They seven McGee is definitely there another option there for two for Oregon so yeah they I mean Verdell losing him was definitely a bit blow but yeah it wasn't necessarily uh critical for them because they're still able to run the ball and do what they're doing I mean anytime you can average 300 yards uh, per game the last two weeks I mean I think you're definitely doing something right in that regard so, assuming the Utes sell out to stop the run, run blitz as often as necessary, whatever it takes, don't let Oregon run over Utah the way Oregon State did. How much faith do you have in Anthony Brown's ability to throw the ball and beat these blitzes and beat the Utes with a passing game? Well, I think um, they're going to – I think he can do it. Just, I don't think they want him throwing the ball like – obviously like 30 times a game that's just not what Oregon likes to do nor I don't think that's what Utah likes to do either but yeah I think they do they want to establish the two I think they're going to at some point but you just can't obviously you give up 300 yards rushing uh to any team you're, you're not going to be successful for the most part and I think that's kind of what Utah is looking to do is try to just limit the running game as much as possible because Oregon's going to run the ball no matter what it's just a matter of one just not letting them get a lot of yards on first and second down and two, just, you know, been able to, you know, contain it enough where they have to force Anthony Brown to beat him like on third third and long and third and medium situations. Yeah, he's shown times where he's been able to – he's thrown interceptions or last week it was definitely the fumble. Well, could have been the fumble in the end zone. I don't necessarily know what happened. We had some bad camera angles. But, yeah, he's shown times where he's turned over the ball. But, yeah, he's also shown times where he's able to be able to overcome some of his mistakes and make some big plays too. So it's just kind of what you have to take for Anthony Brown. You have to take some good and the bad as well. But, yeah, he's definitely stepped up when he needed them two at times. In light of Utah going to Stanford a couple weeks back and beating them by 45 points in a game that was zero competitive from start to finish, obviously, how did Stanford find a way to beat Oregon? I recognize that there were some guys who didn't play against Utah that uh, played against Stanford, or excuse, excuse me, played against Oregon, but still, folks over here in the mountains are wondering how they lost to Stanford. 
Well, I think Joe Moorhead being out um, as the offensive coordinator that day really hurt them, kind of hindered them. And I, uh, I think that was – you kind of saw that at the play calling. I think, too, also obviously uh, defensively, really, uh, Oregon just couldn't get Stanford off the field, whether it be running or they were able to pass the ball down the field effectively, especially the, uh, in regulation. Um, tying that game up and forcing overtime, and Kayvon Thibodeau also getting ejected for uh, you know a questionable targeting call too as well. That certainly didn't help things, but yeah, I mean Stanford, you know they did whatever they had to do as far as throwing the football, especially in the overtime period, and that's how they were able to do it. Or uh, Oregon is one of the best rushing defensive teams in the country. Obviously, Utah likes to run the football, so I think whoever's going to be able to pass the ball, you know, more effectively and avoid those mistakes, whether it be Utah or Oregon, is definitely going to have a better chance to win this game because yeah, I think both of these teams are like really going to sell out the run and uh, that's kind of going to open up some possible lanes passing the ball for both of the quarterbacks. So, But yeah, to answer your question, it's really just they Stanford were able to pass the ball effectively, and I think that's something that Utah is going to have to be able to do if they're going to come out with the well with the win here. I know they're favorites, so I can't really call it much of an upset, too. So you mentioned the defense for Oregon, and they've held a lot of their better opponents have scored twenty something points. The only team to get the thirty was UCLA, and they did get one touchdown off of a, a turnover in a short field. Uh, they only had to go 20 yards. I, I'm curious, how did UCLA become the, the the one team that could put 31 points on the board against Oregon? And is there any roadmap there for the Utes to do the same kind of thing? Well, they get off to a great start. Uh, UCLA got up to a 14 nothing lead and just kind of punched uh, Oregon in the mouth. And you know, in that game in particular, they they um, the Oregon was able to settle down and uh, get some things going offensively in the second half and be able to overcome that slow start. So yeah, I think um, the, Oregon has got off to some slow starts in games before um, this season. I mean, last week against. Washington State, they got off to a really good start. They wrote 14 nothing, and then the Cougars end up coming back and tying the game and, um, at halftime. But, yeah, I think that's really the key for any team. If you're going to um, defeat Oregon, it's really the end of them to getting off to a fast start, too, um, and also getting off to a quick start on your own on the offensive end, too, and be able to get things going. And But this team has been resilient. I mean, they've been in pretty much just about every situation possible. But, yeah, they for the most part, they've been able able to overcome that situation outside of the Stafford game. So I don't think it, them being down early is really going to you know, affect them uh, too much mentally, especially on the road, uh, as you saw in the UCLA game too as well. Thibodeau, man, because he is so good. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the best. Like I said, I think you know probably the number one pick in the draft, or at least going to be in the top three. Uh, I, I know the Detroit Lions are probably going to be looking for a quarterback, so I don't know if he'll be number one per se, but yeah, he'll definitely be um, in that conversation as far as top picks in the NFL, in the twenty twenty two NFL draft. So if the Utes uh, double him and make sure he doesn't do anything, who is next most likely to make a big play defensively for Oregon? 
Well, I mean, you, you, I'm sure people there recognize uh, the Sewell name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yep. Noel Sewell, uh, definitely, you know, he's been just as good this year uh, defensively for Oregon, especially when Chippendo has been out. Uh, he was out earlier this year with angle injury and didn't play against Ohio State or Stony Brook and really was on the pitch count against Arizona. But Noel Sewell is definitely a guy you have to watch for. Uh, Vernon uh, McKinney, uh, they call him the general. Uh, he's definitely he leads. He's tied for the uh, nation league in interceptions with five. But yeah, it really starts with those guys too. Uh, those guys, you like, got one of the best linebackers in the country, and Sewell and uh, McKinney is definitely going to be up for a Jim Thorpe Award winner uh, award this year. So yeah, those two guys, I think. Or I mean, Utah's going to have to keep an eye on too, as well. Outside of uh, trying to slow down the the engine that is that and uh, Kayvon Thibodeau. Whittingham talks about at length getting off the field defensively, and he loves to look at one of the stats he looks at is third down conversion rate. And you look at the Ducks; I think they're fifth nationally from the offensive standpoint. Uh, com- uh, converting to first downs more than half of their third down conversions. And then in the last four games, I think they're up to like 66%. Has it been a matter of just a bunch of third and shorts or they hit on something there? Yeah, I mean, but what it boils down to is like it goes back to them running the football effectively. So if they're able to run for four or five yards per carry on or first and second down. They get in these third and short situations. And uh, anytime you can get in that situation, it's definitely going to benefit the offense too as well, especially one that, you know, that has trouble at times throwing the football uh, like Oregon has had it um, at times with Anthony Brown. So, yeah, I mean, the key to them is really just getting Oregon into those uh, third and medium, third and uh, long situations where you know the, you know the pass is going to come. But, you know, in the third and second, I mean, a third and two, third and one situation, any, you know, anything could potentially happen, especially depending on what side of the field you're on or yard line or whatever the case may be. And that's when the Oregon usually converts, especially like kind of alluded to their fifth in the country and third down conversions. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's really how, how you're going to have to slow down Oregon, but that's really been the key to them, just getting in those uh, short yardage situations and been able to convert on them. So early in the year, the Utes had problems uh, covering kickoffs, and they gave up a couple of touchdowns. Now they've had problems punting the ball. They've given up a couple of touchdowns, and we're really fortunate that there was a technical mistake made by Oregon State, or they would have given up a third one. How good is Oregon on special teams, and can they take advantage of the Utes in that portion of the game? Yeah, I mean, uh, Oregon had a 63-yard punt re- I mean, kickoff return last week, so they really uh, set up a touchdown, too, late on in the game, too, and really uh, turned things around. So, I mean, it's been hit or miss, uh, per se, uh, to be honest with you. And, you know, Seven McGee has done some good things there in the return game, uh, too, as well. Uh, I know Mikhail Wright ended up, uh, ended up having that long game, too, as well, as kickoff return last week. But, yeah, I definitely think – it's something that uh, Oregon might be able to take advantage of, but uh, it's been hit or miss at times. It hasn't been necessarily uh, too consistent there, but they do have some playmakers that could get some potential long games too as well if you're not careful. 
Antoine Staley joining us, Oregon Ducks beat writer for the Eugene Register Guard. Early in the year, there were a lot of one-score games. Uh, they beat Fresno by a touchdown, beat Ohio State by a touchdown, did lose to Stanford in OT, beat Cal by a TD, beat UCLA by a field goal. The last three weeks, though, all the wins have been double digits. Have Has Oregon improved and turned a corner here, or is it just the fact that Colorado isn't very good and Washington and Washington State are changing coaches and in turmoil, so that doesn't really mean anything? Well, I think, yes, I think it's a combination of it all. Like, I think I think Washington State's a better team than, obviously, Colorado and Washington. So, and to have the situation that they've had and still been able to be competitive, I think they're saying a lot, too, especially with a team that and can get turnovers the way the Cougars have this year, and they got some off of Oregon too as well. But yeah, Washington's not necessarily a really good team, although it was like a really spirited rivalry game that you know that Oregon got off to a really bad start in that, but they would overcome that. And then obviously Colorado is not necessarily very good either. But you know you got to give credit to where credit's due. The Oregon care of business and did exactly what they were supposed to do. Uh, they played some nail biters too as well. Uh, like you say, you talked about the UCLA game, uh, Cal game. They didn't necessarily uh, play particularly well, but they at home, but they were overcome that. So they, this team, this team has played just about every kind of a game there is to play. And I think this weekend, uh, last road game, true road game of the year against Utah, probably a precursor of the Pac-12 championship in a couple of weeks too, as well. But I definitely think that. It's going to be a nail, another nail biter, especially on the road. But you know, it, it really could go either way. I like I said, I'm about fifty fifty on how this game is going to go in particular. Yeah, you and the Vegas odds makers, right? You know, you know, yeah. <laughs> Utah gets three points for being at home. Well, I'll just make Utah a three point favorite then. Uh, last thing yeah. before we let you go, everyone here is curious. It's a five or six hour drive, depending on where you live here, to Las Vegas, and there will be a if, if the Utes are there, there will be a huge turnout for the title game. How well will Oregon travel for something like that when people might be saving their money for playoff games? Vegas is so a 15, 16-hour drive, where, depending on where you're coming from in Oregon. And then, you know, there's flights, but there's a limit to how many people can move on planes. How, how well will Oregon travel to Vegas? Well, I, I can already tell you a lot of people have already booked their flights and hotels already um, there in Oregon. So it's there's going to be a good amount of people from Oregon too, as well. So I don't, I guess I don't know necessarily the numbers, but just from people I've talked to online and just out in the street, then people have been preparing for this for quite a while. Uh, so yeah, I imagine it'll be a ton of Utah people. It'll be a ton of Oregon people, especially out in Vegas. I mean, you don't need a you don't need any excuse really to go to Vegas. I mean, so but <laughs> that's, that's, I mean, that's, wait, that's, yeah. watch a football game on a Friday night. That, that's a pretty damn good one, though. <laughs> Well, that's why the conference moved the basketball tournament there, and that's why they moved the football championship game there. All right, Antoine, we we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. All right, thank you, guys. From Registered Guard in Eugene, Oregon, and uh, really fun to hear him talk about. He's like, yeah, a lot of people have bought their tickets already to Las Vegas. And as you should, if you're a Utah fan, if you're considering going down to the Pac-12 title game, you probably should have gotten a jump on it, I feel like, two weeks ago and started buying them. Uh, but this is a huge opportunity for the University of Utah tonight. They have got an absolute titanic clash against Oregon. 
I've got a feeling that Utah's going to win this game. I, I don't know how to describe it, but I just I have a feeling that they're going to go out there and obviously make the rest of the Pac-12 not feel very good about having their uh, top team knocked out of the playoff field. But I think the Utes, they're going to do something special tonight. And I've, I've got a good feeling about it. Obviously, I, I could be wrong. But I think Antoine Staley lays out a pretty good thing. If Oregon can run the football, it's going to create problems for Utah. But if Utah can force this game onto the arm of Anthony Brown, their quarterback, speaking of the Oregon Ducks, gives Utah, I think, a huge advantage. This is a young defense. Utah's got a lot of youth in the defensive line in particular. Uh, They have got, obviously, to be sure that they do their part to slow down these teams, this team they're going up against in in Oregon and that run game it's just so critical we saw Oregon State absolutely run it down Utah's throw and they lost that game and you can point directly to that obviously the special teams issues cannot rear their ugly head again but I, I've got a sneaking suspicion that Kyle Whittingham and his staff have been harping on that all week long you'd expect improvement there you cannot have another pub blocked for a touchdown but this is a huge Huge game coming up tonight. 5.30 kickoff up there at Rice-Eccles Stadium. Our pregame coverage with Hans Olsen and Frank Dolce will begin at 4.30 right here on The Zone. Coming up in a moment, we're going to step away from the college football realm and talk some college hoops there in the early part of their season. Uh, One of the foremost authorities on the sport, a guy that the NCAA uh, selection committee or the, what do they call it, the the tournament, whatever, this selection committee for lack of a better term, they actually use his metrics. Ken Pomeroy, they use them to determine the the March Madness field. He lives here in Utah. He's been a dear friend for a, num- for a number of years now. I had a great chat with him earlier this week about some college hoops things and figured, you know what, let's talk a little bit about it on air. So we'll get to Ken Pomeroy coming up next. Of course, the Saturday show, want to let you guys know, is brought to you by our friends at Mountainland Supply. Absolutely love having them on board with us. They are where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. Cannot thank Mountainland Supply enough for being the title sponsor here of the Saturday Show. More in a moment. This is the Saturday Show on the Zone Sports Network. Let's go live. We talk jazz, utes, cougars, and aggies, even on the weekend. Weekend. You're locked on to the Saturday Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. Hope you all are doing great out there wherever you might be on this Saturday. We are live from JCW's in Provo. Of course, we are brought to you by Mountainland Supply. And going to be joined by Ken Pomeroy here hopefully in just a minute. Uh, But very interesting day ahead here on the Zone. we got plenty uh, to talk about. we got BYU pregame coverage kind of kicking off all of our coverage this afternoon slash evening at 1 o'clock with the Cougar pregame show live from here at JCW's in Provo. We will obviously have Utah pregame coverage, Ute pregame show at uh, 4.30 leading up to their game at 5.30. Uh, Utah State also in action tonight. We'll have full play-by-play coverage of that for you guys on 1280 AM The Zone and on 97.5 FM being at 7 o'clock. Full play-by-play coverage of the Utah Jazz. Uh, so a busy, busy day. Uh, looking forward to this, and it's a big opportunity uh, to just cover all the teams here locally that every co- 
cares about. That's what we love about our station, the reach it has. It's just a ton of fun to do. Uh, so I'm uh, going to hopefully have Ken Palmer here in a minute. Uh, we're efforting him. We're having some phone issues, so we'll get that taken care of. Uh, I'm just texting him right now. Actually, send him that number to call in, too. So uh, looking forward, by the way, to this college hoop season. Off to a great start, speaking of BYU as well as University of Utah. Uh, we obviously – college hoops used to be a much bigger deal in this state, it feels like. It used to very much be when the youths were making the runs in the 90s. Of course, none bigger than that national championship game against Kentucky. felt like college hoops was king in this state, and football's taken over, and I understand. Jazz are still very big, but college hoops is in particular uh, not necessarily had as big of a – uh, of a, I guess a stage here locally that it's, than it's had in the past, um, and we're looking forward uh, to seeing how things go. But if you're a team like BYU, and we're looking at the Cougars, they beat up on number 12 Oregon, 81 to 49 on Tuesday night up there in Portland, and it was just an absolutely crazy game. BYU just came out from the get-go, punched Oregon in the mouth, and the Ducks never really recovered from that, and it was. It was one of those games that you're like, wow, that if they can do that all year long, who's to say that they are not going to be a factor this entire season in what they are trying to do? But I think that uh, the the bigger thing is is that the BYU basketball program, they have played three likely tournament teams so far this season. Speaking of Cleveland State, who is the Horizon League uh, favorite this season, San Diego State, who figures to be a force in the Mountain West, and then you beat up an Oregon, you're feeling really good about yourselves. Uh, the Cougars will take a relative breather tonight when they take on Central Methodist from the NAIA ranks down at the Marriott Center. Uh, and that doesn't denigrate anything that they've done so far this season. I think every team has those games where it's like, okay, this should be a layup for them. And we're looking forward to it. And Jeff, uh, producing here, says line is busy, so just as a heads up for you, I'm not sure what's going on with our phone system. So uh, hopefully we'll resolve it and get Ken on here momentarily. But the good news is also for the University of Utah, they're off to a flying start. The Craig Smith era uh, is going well so far. Utah looks very different uh, than they did last year towards the tail end of that season. But I'm looking forward to seeing how both of these teams do. They will square off against one another. And that's going to be next Saturday, so a week from today at 7.30. We'll be playing in the John M. Huntsman Center up there on the University of Utah campus. And looking forward to that game. And I just I, I feel like both of these teams, they are going to have a lot to prove this year as they come uh, into basketball season. I know there are some people out there who say that basketball season doesn't really start until football season's over. Sure, I, and I understand that. If you're a football aficionado, you kind of college basketball doesn't necessarily register for you. And I understand that, but I think there is some big seasons on the way. If everything goes according to what we've seen so far, uh, Utah, they're off to a three and start. As we mentioned, they open up play in the sunshine jam. So uh, sunshine, sunshine slam down there in, at the ocean center in Daytona beach. That's at three o'clock this afternoon. We'll be taking on Boston college. So, Big opportunity there, and looks like we've got things figured out here. Let's bring him in now. Of course, he is the proprietor of KenPalm.com, one of the foremost authorities when it comes to college hoops. I, and Ken Palmer joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Best of State Award winner Smart Rain has an incredible Black Friday offer running for the entire month of November. Smart Rain is giving free controllers along with a free Apple iPad to commercial properties who sign up with a paid cellular and hosting subscription. Please visit SmartRain.net or call 877-346- 
33-33. Ken Pomeroy joins us now. Ken, how's it going? It's going great, Jay. Great to uh, to be able to chat with you on this uh, gloomy Saturday afternoon. Just a perfect day to lock yourself in and watch some Watch some hoops or watch some football. I guess most people are probably watching football, but I will be watching hoops, Jake. Uh, I, I figured you would be watching hoops. I, just, I did want to ask you, though, like, are, are you a football fan at NFL college? Do you, do you watch much football at all? I watch some. You know, I'm a, a very, very casual fan. Uh, I couldn't, couldn't, couldn't probably name any players on the Utes or Cougars. Okay. That's, how, that's how casual I am. But, uh, but, you know, I'm not anti-football. The game's on. I'll watch it. And, uh you know, I watched the NFL on Sunday, but gotcha, yeah, I'm most, okay. mostly locked into the basketball. Well, and I, I figured as much because when you do what you do, like KenPalm.com, I don't know how many people, if they haven't been to your website, I would encourage them to get there. This is the most advanced metrics and just the most in-depth analytics I think you'll find anywhere. And I, it's got to be a pretty all-encompassing thing, especially once the season gets going. It is. I mean, a lot of the, uh, you know, I've done it for like 15, 16, 17 years now, so uh, a lot of the work has been automated in terms of processing the data and okay. posting on the website and things like that. But you really don't get to a point where you build a website like that unless you're really into the sport itself. So <laughs> it's almost like the, the causality is, is the other way around. You know, like obviously watching a lot of hoops and really into the sport, and that's how a website like this gets developed. So that's that's the reason I, you know, especially this time of year, don't have a ton of time to uh, deal with other sports. Sure. Well, I want to talk about some of the local teams. Let's start off with the Utes. They're going to be in action this afternoon at 3 o'clock. Uh, Craig Smith obviously taking over as the new head coach up there on the hill. Uh, they're, off, they're off to a 3-0 start, and they seem to be pretty good so far. What do your metrics say about them in the early run so far? Yeah, I think you have to be optimistic about them. You know, anytime you have a coaching change, um, it's always uh, – a little scary that first season. You don't know what you're going to get. Uh, the last time the youths changed coaches, uh, they had one of the, you know, certainly the worst team they had in their history and uh, one of the worst power conference teams ever. So, so those things can happen. But uh, I guess the, the thing I would say about, you know, this version of the youths is that they are, they're competent. I mean, it doesn't sound like a huge compliment, but there are at least two teams in the Pac-12 that are not competent right now. And that's Washington and Cal. So, say, um, yeah. so Utah has them beat and, uh, you know, certainly through three games, you know, the schedule hasn't been terribly tough, but uh, we'll find out a little bit more about them today when they take on Boston College. But um, but I would be pretty happy with the way things are going and, and how things have looked and uh, certainly the, you know, the new players that um, Coach Smith has brought in in terms of Raleigh Worcester from, you know, Utah State and David Jenkins from uh, UNLV um, have both worked out pretty well so far. Obviously, Booth Gotch is back and, uh, you know, seem to be picking up where he left off so um so i think there's some optimism there you know the youth aren't probably going to the ncaa tournament but they're going to win a few games in the pac-12 and i think there's going to be some exciting moments up on the hill so uh so that's good news for them obviously as you mentioned when, when coaching changes take place they, they affect multiple programs i wanted to ask you about the utah state aggies i i've, I've been working with scotty the last two two days on their games down there in south carolina as they've been playing and uh, they obviously had a lot of changeover in their own right. Ryan Odom taking over. Uh, what have you seen from the Aggies so far this year? Well, I think, again, you have to be pleasantly surprised if you're an Aggies fan. You know, like the season opener, uh, they lost to UC Davis, and, um, you know, you had to wonder maybe this will be a, a rocky year or something like that. But uh, since then, they've looked pretty good. You know, they made the cross-country trip. Uh, beat Richmond and in, in, in Annapolis uh, fairly easily, and then 
they've had some success, obviously, in this tournament in South Carolina. And, uh, you know, struggling with Penn a little bit, which was a little, you know, a little shaky, but, um, you know, just completely annihilating New Mexico State yesterday, you know, some great three-point shooting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, obviously, they're going to get a, a really good test against Oklahoma tomorrow. But uh, Justin Bean has just been a monster for them, putting up, you know, double-doubles every night and, uh, you know, cracking 30-point marks. So, uh, so he's been great. Uh, Rylan Jones, as you might have expected, transferring from Utah, has, has you know, really looked pretty good for them. Uh, R.J. Idlerock transferring over from UMBC, following Ryan, Ryan Odom out, uh, has been a, um, uh, a very good player for them as well. So, uh, so Utah State's looked good. Uh, again, maybe not a tournament team, mm-hmm. but uh, they're going to win a bunch of games in the Mountain West. You know, they're the second or third or fourth best team in the Mountain West. I think that's a, you know, a huge success in Ryan Odom's first season. Yeah, it would be an accomplishment. I, I completely agree with you there. Uh, completing, I guess, the big three in state, BYU, I think they're off to a pretty stunning start, in, in, just in my estimation. The, the, the three likely tournament teams they have faced so far this season, uh, speaking of Cleveland State, San Diego State, and then just absolutely obliterating Oregon. Uh, what have you made of the Cougars so far? Yeah, I mean, they've been, you know, <laughs> as good as you, you could have possibly imagined at the start of the season. Um, you know, I think there was obviously some hope that they were uh, a top 25 team. Obviously, Alex Barcelo coming back was the route for, you know, a lot of that optimism. But Tejon Luke is coming over from Milwaukee and, and you know, really kind of running the offense the way he has. Um, Seneca Knight coming in and um, playing well also for them has helped. Uh, Bruce Traore, the, the freshman, kind of uh, – fullback type physique um, for them, but uh, playing well, coming off the bench and uh, looking like he's just going to be a stud for that program if they can keep him around for a while. So that's just a few of the a few of the key cast members there, but it's really just overall a, a good team. There's no, I mean, there's no dominant force offensively. I think people look at Barcelo and, you know, think he's the, the star of the team and he clearly is the star of the team, but he's not really like a high usage guy, you know, he'll, he'll shoot it when he's open and he'll probably make it, but he doesn't take a ton of shots. It's just a, just a really well dis- distributed offense. And, uh, um, you know, it's hard. It's, it's kind of hard to imagine really after three games, it would be really tough to imagine this team not making the NCAA tournament, not being a, you know, a, a decent seed, you know, a five or a six seed. I mean, obviously the, the game at Oregon kind of backed that up, but, you know, beating San Diego state the way they did, you know, it's kind of a tough grinding game. That's going to be another great win for their resume. So things are, are certainly looking great for BYU. I want to ask you about this, Ken, because you do a lot of these metrics and whatnot. BYU obviously will be moving into the Big 12 here in a couple of seasons. The Big 12 is one of the premier conferences already. How Do you think it will be likely a top three conference annually, even with the changeover that's going to happen in the next couple of years? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the programs they're adding are, you know, solid basketball programs right now. And so, um, you know, it's, BYU, obviously, the trajectory of that program is is uh, going up, and you know, adding Houston is great. You know, UCF not a great, not a necessarily great basketball program, but um, they're not dead weight either on the basketball side. So, you know, things look uh, pretty good. And I, you know, I, I when they made this announcement, I, I did a little analysis and I looked at the if this uh, if the current uh if the composition of the conference was uh what it will be in two years you know how would that have how would that conference have ranked over the last you know five or six seasons and 
And it still would have been slightly ahead of the Big Ten for, for the number one league. Um, oh, wow. I, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's how it's going to be going forward necessarily. You know, the Big Ten has been, has been pretty strong in recent years. So I'm not saying necessarily unequivocally that the Big 12 is still going to be the best conference in the country, but uh, definitely top three. I mean, the bottom line is there's not there's – not, the, the only competition for, for top three is really the, you know, Big Ten and Big 12. And then the other four power leagues are, you know, kind of battling it out at a – slightly lower tier so um so yeah i think it's it's pretty safe to say unless there's you know some sort of massive like you know coaching defections of scott drew left baylor or something and baylor you know went back to being a non-top 25 team or something like that you know that could change things but the way things look now i mean kansas is always gonna be awesome assuming they stay in the league and baylor should be awesome if scott drew was there and you know there's obviously a number of other programs in the big 12 that are not necessarily top five top 10 level but in any given year, you know, are on the edge of the top 25. So, so things will be fine in the Big 12. I mean, I'm, I'm absolutely stoked to see those teams come into Provo and get to, to see those teams live. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to ask you about the Pac-12 this year. You already mentioned earlier on that it looks like Cal and Washington are just going to be yeah, – you just had dead weight for the conference. But how good can the Pac-12 be as a whole this year? Well, I think there was some – justified optimism heading into the season, you know, based on the incredible run that the league had in last year's NCAA tournament. Yeah. Uh, however, comma, uh, the start of the season has not gone well. Like UCLA has been as good as advertised. Mm-hmm. Um, USC still, you know, waiting on Arizona looks very good. Got a nice win last night over Wichita state. And they'll be taking on Michigan tomorrow down in Vegas. So that'll really tell us where they are, but they could be very good. Oregon, obviously, maybe good going forward, but the loss to BYU was not good. And uh, and the rest of the league has really not distinguished itself. So, uh, so right now I have them rated as the sixth-best conference in the country, and that could change. I mean, they're basically tied with the, um, the ACC and, and, uh, and the Big East. So, you know, they, they could easily move into the fourth spot if they just have a few key wins. But um, – but it hasn't been a very, you know, a great start. And but you know, that could work to Utah's advantage as well. And that's why I think, you know, it's eight and ten or something like that in the Pac twelve was very realistic for the Utes because um outside of UCLA and Arizona and maybe Oregon, um, you know, there's a lot of wins to be had. Yeah, I, I, I just that's the one thing I think a lot of people just wonder about. Okay, is the Pac-12 because to use the football analogy, there's a lot of people out there who have denigrated the Pac-12 in football in recent years, and hoops has not necessarily been as solid as it has been in past years. But I think a team like UCLA is more than capable of helping carry the the banner, I guess, in, in a way for the Pac-12. It certainly helps. I mean, you look at the history of the conference and UCLA and Arizona historically. I really sense like the mid eighties or something, you know, have just been incredible. Like mm-hmm. almost every year, both of those teams are, you know, above 500 in league and, and, you know, top 25 teams. And, uh, and, you know, in recent years, certainly UCLA has maybe not lived up to that standard and Arizona kind of struggled with that, with the NCAA kind of sniffing around the program there. Um, but certainly UCLA is back. Arizona almost back. Maybe back. We'll see. I mean, they they have a lot of talent. Really, I'm really impressed with, with the way they look. So, um, so that's definitely good for the league. Like, that's a good start. Like, you almost it's almost mandatory that league is going to be like ever get back to the point where they're like a top three league. Those two programs have to be very good, and they seem to be there. So now it's on you know the rest of the league to kind of get their act together and you know produce 
you know, three or four more teams that are top 25 worthy. That's how you, that's how you get back to the point where you're one of the best conferences in the country. I got two more things for you here, Ken. Uh, Gonzaga, obviously Chet Holmgren, the top recruit uh, coming in there. They seem like they're off to a really good start. Are they uh, as good as they were last year in your mind? I know you still have them number one in your rankings. Yeah, I mean, I had them, you know, number one preseason by by quite a bit. So they're kind of, uh, you know, riding on that a little bit. If you if you saw them play against Texas, who uh, who I have 14th in my system, mm-hmm. you know, they won that game fairly easily, and that's been their only real test so far. I don't think they're as good as they were last year. I mean, national championship game aside, yeah. uh, that was one of the best teams of the last 15, 20 years. You know, this so happened in the national championship game. They also played another team that was one of the best in the last 15, 20 years. Um, so I don't think they're they're on that level, but they're they're pretty good, man. Like they're you know they're definitely one of the top five teams in the country, maybe the best. You know, it's going to be another one of those deals where at the end of the season they're going to be, you know. 27 and three heading into the NCAA tournament, or I guess after the, the, the WCC tournament, they'll be like 29 and three or 28 and four or something like that. You know, the thing is the WCC is actually pretty tough this year. Like it's just the, the toughest the WCC has ever been. So um, Gonzaga will, will steamroll through that league, but I don't see them going undefeated. And they, they could lose two or three times. I mean, it's not just BYU, you know, it's uh, you, know, you can look at St. Mary's obviously always solid, but San Francisco is very good. Santa Clara has gotten off to a great start. Uh, Loyal Marymount is halfway decent. So all of those games on the road are going to be, you know, decent tests for Gonzaga. And, and when they inevitably have one of those, like, off-shooting nights, unlike last year where they could win that game by 10, you know, it's going to come down to the wire this year. So I I, I do think that uh, while Gonzaga is very good, their record might not be quite as, uh, as gaudy as it has been in years past. Gotcha. All right, Ken, last thing from me. On an average day, how much college hoop are you watching? Well, I try, I try to uh, to moderate uh, my behavior and uh, not be not be too upset. It's actually kind of a grind, you know. If you you're just sitting in front of the TV for you know six, eight, ten hours in a row, like probably not healthy, and it's just, it's really difficult actually to maintain your attention span. So right now, I got the the, the Villanova Tennessee game on, and uh, it's about a twenty point game for Villanova, so I might you know. Might not watch that one to the conclusion, but I'll probably catch parts of uh, a good, you know, five or six games uh, today. And, uh, you know, if a couple of them uh, end up being compelling, I'll uh, obviously be glued to them all the way through. Ken Pomeroy, the best. Ken, Ken, thank you enough for joining us here and look forward to catching up with you again soon, all right? All right, thanks, Jake. Always enjoy it. There you go, Ken Pomeroy, KenPom.com. You can go see his rankings, and trust me, folks, if you want just to kind of a deep dive on college hoops and want to know exactly what's going on, you want kind of the inside edge when it comes to your bracket pools, when it comes to that time of the year in March, then you could do a lot worse than using KenPom.com. It's kind of your secret weapon on that, but Ken is the best, and I just love his analysis and does a great job. So thank him for taking the time to join us here on the Saturday show. Uh, we will put a bow on the Saturday show coming up here in just a moment. Uh, I just want to remind you guys we are live today at JCW's. We will be here, obviously, for BYU uh, Cougar pre- and post-game coverage as well, beginning at 1 o'clock. We do have jazz gear, so you'd like to pick some up, feel free to stop by, get some lunch, say hi. Love Nothing more than for you guys to stop by and grab some food, grab some gear, and just say hello. More in a moment. This is the Saturday show right here on the Zone Sports Network. Saturday. We rock your weekend. The week-
weekend is here, and we're breaking down the teams that you're passionate about. Oh, really? This is the Saturday Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. Hope you all are doing great out there. It's been a fun show today. Of course, thankful to the folks down here at JCW's and Provo for having us down here. We will have Cougar pregame coverage coming up in just over an hour from now. Uh, getting ready for BYU. The number 14 ranked Cougars are in Statesboro, Georgia. Paulson Stadium. Jeff, did you know where uh, Statesboro, Georgia was before this week? Nope. Certainly not. <laughs> I don't think you're alone in that. I had to look it up. I was like, where would they even fly into? And they flew into Savannah, Georgia, of all things. I guess they're gonna they bust into state uh, states. Was like an hour, hour and a half away from Savannah, but it's very much in the southern part of the state. So it's a very aptly named university. But the Eagles, uh, three and seven on the year, taking on the Cougars, and we'll have, like I said, pregame coverage of that coming up at one o'clock. Ute pregame coverage, getting ready for that showdown between the Utes and the Ducks up there at Rice Cycle Stadium comes your way at 4.30 here on The Zone. And then this evening we'll be splitting the signal. We'll have Utah State coverage on 1280 AM for Senior Night at Maverick Stadium between the Aggies and the Wyoming Cowboys. And then obviously we'll have Utah Jazz coverage beginning at 7 o'clock as the Jazz take on the Sacramento Kings. So busy, busy day ahead. Stay with us all day long. And a big thank you to all of you for joining us here on the Saturday. Saturday show. Uh, I want to remind you guys that Saturday show is brought to you by our friends at Mountainland Supply. They're where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping, irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. For Jeff and Megan, I'm Jake. Have a great rest of your day, and hopefully we'll hear you back here in just about an hour with the Cougar pregame show. This has been the Saturday show on 97.5 FM, 1280 AM, and the Zone Sports Network.